Section number 17 of Birds and Nature. Volume 11, number 5, May 1902. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Isaiah Barker of Binghamton, New York. The Horse, Equus Cabalus. There are many objects which are so commonly seen that we deceive ourselves by thinking we know much about them. And yet, should we make a special study of these same objects, often we would find ourselves woefully ignorant in regard to some of their most distinguishing characteristics. Every day of our lives we see horses. These frequently move with exquisite grace and beauty, stepping daintily and proudly as if hardly deigning to remain on earth, but seeming just ready to rise and fly, as did the fabled winged horse Pegasus. With rapidly moving feet, the landscape speeds far away behind, like an ocean driven before the wind, and we look on only to admire and wonder. And yet how comparatively few of those who watch the fascinating motion of a rapidly moving horse know that the beautiful animal is running on only one toe, for that indeed is all it possesses for each foot. The foot proper extends as high as the apparent knee, this is in reality the wrist or ankle, and the apparent foot is but a finger or toe corresponding to the middle finger and middle toe of the hand and foot of man. The hoof may be likened to the fingernail. In fact, it is a great, thick, enlarged nail, finishing and protecting the toe above. The horse belongs to a great division known as the odd-toed animals. There are about 25 species of these animals now existing, and they are divided into four families. The one-toed horses, the tapers with four toes in front and three behind, the rhinoceroses with three toes, and the coney family, with four toes on their forefeet and three on the hinder feet. These four families are very different in their ways of living, and are so unlike that one would not expect to find them relatives. The native country of the horse seems to be nearly the entire northern hemisphere, for fossil remains are found throughout this region, but in America the horse, never found south of Alaska, became extinct, and for a time there were no horses on the western continent. After the discovery of America, horses were imported into the country, and in time some escaped from their owners and formed herds which have multiplied until there are a great many wild horses now roaming over the New World. In Europe, wild horses also became extinct, but at a comparatively recent date. But in Asia and Africa, there seems to be no time when the wild horses have not been roaming over the plains and tablelands, as free as the wind. On the steppes of southeastern Europe, there are great herds of peculiar horses called tarpans. These are indeed freedom-loving animals, and one can but feel a certain sympathy with their unwillingness to be tamed. They are a rather small horse, with thin, strong legs, a rather long, thin neck, and a comparatively thick, blunt-muzzled head. They have small, brilliant, wicked eyes. The hair is thick and short in summer and inclined to curl. In winter it is longer and coarser, 
and on the chin becomes almost like a beard. Not content to roam in freedom by themselves, they will, if possible, entice domesticated horses to join their number. On this account they are persistently hunted, as they do considerable damage. The great herds are divided into families, each family led by a stallion who is sole ruler, taking the best care of his subjects, but permitting no irregularity. These herds wander from place to place, usually running against the wind, and their keen sense of hearing warns them of approaching danger. The stallions do not fear beasts of prey, and will sally forth against wolves and beat them down with their forehoofs. The earliest representations of horses and the fossil remains of the prehistoric animals show them to be of rather small size and not unlike the tarpans, suggesting the idea to some minds that the tarpans were the ancestors of the modern domesticated breeds, but the facility with which the horse will resume its wild state makes opinions of little value. The South American wild horses, called the wild horse of the Pampas, were all descended from a few domesticated horses left in the town of Buenos Aires, which was abandoned some time after the year 1535. These horses are called Cimarrones. They roam in immense herds, and are considered a nuisance, as they consume good pasturage and also lead away the domestic horses. The Mustangs of Paraguay, although domesticated horses, very little from the conditions of the wild horses of the Pampas, as they are much neglected, live out of doors all the year round, and really degenerate for want of care. A. von Humboldt gives an interesting description of the life of the horse of the Llanos, the great grassy plains lying further to the north. When the never-clouded sun turns the grass to dust, the horses and cattle roam about, pressed by hunger and thirst, and by inflating their nostrils endeavor to discover the damper air currents localities where the water has not yet evaporated. The mules, using more intelligence, beat with their forefeet the prickly exterior of the melon cactus and quench their thirst with the watery pulp. When finally the rainy season begins, the horses still meet with danger and trouble as the swelling rivers surround their grazing places and the colts are frequently drowned. Jaguars often lurk in the tall grass and crocodiles are a constant menace. Even among the fish, there are dangerous enemies. The electric eels can kill the largest animals by means of their powerful discharges if their efforts are concentrated upon certain portions of the body. The horses are often their own enemies. Becoming frantic with terror, in a frenzy of fright, they destroy themselves by dashing against rocks or rushing over precipices. There is much that is interesting in regard to the half-wild horses of North America. These are all descendants of imported varieties, and while owned by the various ranchmen, they have the freedom of the range or prairie. Often they are seen by their owners only at the annual roundup, where they are driven into the corals, in order that the colts may be marked with the brand of the owner. One can spend much time studying the instructive facts in regard to the interesting wild and half-wild horses of the globe, and still feel that much remains unlearned. Yet all will admit that the most beautiful and perfect types of horses are those bred under the direct supervision of man.
Of those which attain the greatest speed, most prominent are the English thoroughbred, the American racehorse, and the Trakenen horse, the finest horse of German breed. These are all the result of many years of careful selection, each finding among its ancestors the noted Arab steeds, praised as the noblest animal of creation by the naturalist, the expert, and the poet. The horses of the Levant and the Barbary have also aided to render the English thoroughbred the greatest racehorse of the old world. The American trotters have not been far behind, for as far back as 1889, the maximum recorded pace was one mile in two minutes and three and three-fourths seconds. For the practical uses of life, there seem to be as many breeds of horses as are necessary to meet the varying requirements of an industrial civilization. We find all kinds and sizes, from the heavy and powerful Percheron or Clydesdale cart horse, standing sometimes over six feet in height, to the smallest Shetland pony, which may be even less than three feet at the withers, and we find horses of various colors, of various lengths of mane and tail, and of varying degrees of intelligence. While not all horses are well treated, yet no animal is so respected and loved by man, and no other animal has become so close a companion. While many nations as a whole have loved and cherished their horses, the Arab steeds have been most appreciated and have entered closest into the daily life and thought of their masters. Only when it has attained its seventh year do they consider the education of the horse complete, and meanwhile it has been the constant companion and friend of its master. In the extravagant and poetical language of the East, one Arab thus speaks of his beloved horse. Do not tell me that this animal is my horse. Say that he is my son. It runs more quickly than the wind of a storm, more swiftly than the glance that sweeps the plains. It is pure as gold. Its eye is clear, and so keen it sees a hair in the dark. It overtakes the gazelle in its course. To the eagle it says, I hurry on, like you. When it hears the shouts of girls, it neighs with joy, and the whistling of bullets rejoices its heart. From the hands of woman it begs for alms, the enemy it beats in the face with its hooves. When it can run to its heart's desire, it weeps tears. It recks not whether the sky be clear, or the blasts of the deserts obscure the light of the sun with dust, for it is a noble steed, and despises the rage of the storm. There is no other in this world that could vie with it. Swift as a swallow, it courses on. So light is its weight that it could dance on the breast of your beloved and not annoy her. It understands all like a son of Adam, and all it lacks is speech. John Ainsley End of section 17 This recording is in the public domain.